I'm just going to sit here and introduce to you somebody that I met for the very first time in this room. His name is Dr. Christopher Kassan. He's a Kerry man, and that's a good thing. He's a Kerry man who has left Kerry and gone out into the world. And just let me read you this. Dr. Christopher Kassan is a historian, and he's a writer. He was selected as a BBC New Generation thinker, working with BBC Radio, and his writings have appeared in The Guardian, um, BFT, The Financial Times, The Irish Times, and elsewhere. And it says, originally and always from Kerry. Um, I asked him if he had any All-Ireland medals um, earlier on. He said, sure, we all have them. <laughs> Excellent Kerry answer, I thought. Um, he said, we all have them. Bill from the county. So he's a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics and Political Science and he also works with the Royal Historical Society in the UK. Well, after our conversations over the last couple of years, Christopher and myself and Murren sat down um, in London and in various different places with him over the last year and we asked him to come and curate what you're going to see over the next hour or so. Would you welcome, please, Christopher Kassan. We're going to have a panel of three Irish people who have gone and lived abroad, who are emigrants, and in fact, all of whom have come home as well, so they've seen all different sides of that Irish story. We'll have uh, Elizabeth Reapy, who is a novelist, who is joining us, filmmaker Morris O'Brien, and we've got the arts activist Angie Goff as well. Now, thank you all very much for joining us here in Dingle. And I think that one thing that we were really excited to have uh, from the three of you is that all of you have experienced living abroad, all of you have experienced coming home, and all of you have worked in areas that actually touch on the experiences of people who are immigrants from other countries, either here in Ireland or in other countries as well. So you've experienced it from all different sorts of angles. So Elizabeth, I might start with you. You, you wrote uh, a now prize-winning novel, Red Dirt, um, about, which is a fantastic novel that I recommend to everybody, about um, the experience of young Irish people, people of our generation, who went to Australia after the economic crash. And what I found really moving and interesting about the novel was that you tell the story from three different individual stories, three different perspectives. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the way that, the reason why you did that and what it might reveal about sort of diversity of immigrant experience. Um, well, the reason why I did it was, it, it just came that way. I went to Australia in 2011 and um, I didn't immigrate there or emigrate there. I, I just went sort of, I felt like I was traveling and drifting and trying to like find myself and all that kind of thing. But because there was so many young Irish over there uh, from completely different backgrounds, I was just totally inspired. The stories were just crazy that I was hearing. So I started kind of gathering stories and um, inspired to write them down. So the, the novel was initially a short story collection about if there were going to be like loads of different uh, young Irish uh, immigrants in Australia, but uh, it ended up being these three different characters. Um, time went on. And something that I found really interesting about the way that the different characters talk about other Irish people, I know that there's a kind of a divide in the book between those who have gone over to work in construction or to work on, in agricultural labour and stuff, and those who have gone over with, as Pierce mentioned in the, the last segment, people who have gone over with you know, high qualifications and skills who are maybe going to pursue greater opportunities and so on. And one of the characters says something about how you know, people in Ireland only care about people leaving when the brain boxes go. Do you think that in Australia, I mean, if, if, with the diversity of those immigrant experiences, how do Irish people relate to each other when they have such different stories out there? Uh, well, I'm not sure, but uh, 
I know in Sydney, um, I met up with a lot of Irish people who were doing really well, and they've been educated over in Australia and did great jobs, engineers and you know doctors and that kind of thing. And so they they were there a while, and then there was all these, these waves of Irish people coming, and they were kind of like you know the tea gardens and these places in Bondi. Um, they were just mortified by by what was going on, and and sometimes I was too, to be honest. I was kind of like. We're in a different country, you know. <laughs> but there was, um, I think, with Australia as well, it had this really, because it felt familiar. It's a Western country. Um, it's it, they speak English, you know. People, there's a lot of people of European descent there. You know, there's all the products that we know. But then it's a completely different landscape. It's it's so it's so alien to us to the heat and how vast it is. Um, so when when I kind of came across people who were being really reckless over there, it was you know this is like this isn't home. Like we're we're not secure here. We don't have support. Like you know. So that's really interesting. I mean, I know President Higgins had a state visit to Australia recently, and there were a number of pieces in the paper of journalists who were over with the president meeting members of the Irish community. And there was one particular piece in the Irish Times um, where. Journalists had gone and interviewed uh, some older Irish immigrants who had gone over many decades ago, who were, as you said, appalled by young Irish people going over. The, the, the headline of the article was, "They only send gobshites over here," for <laughs> um, which is quite like you. You obviously have the challenge of integrating into a, a foreign community, but you have a challenge of integrating into the Irish community, which, <laughs> is, well, which might be more difficult, especially if they come from a different part of the country or whatever. Um, yeah. And. You mentioned there about the, the dual nature of emigrating to Australia and that it seems very familiar in some ways, but obviously it also is at the other end of the world and also totally alien in others. And something that I thought was very interesting um, in the book is that when Irish people go out and do you know, agricultural labour, the, the 88 days to be able to regularise their visas and stuff, that they're out in the fields working with people from Vietnam, China, Thailand, other parts of Southeast Asia, who obviously have, especially in Australia at the moment, you know, a totally different first impression in terms of how they are treated and how people see them. How do Irish people fit into immigrant Australia? You know, how are we seen over there? Uh, well, I think it's it's different. You know, it's just I think with with all of these things, it's sort of who you experience, and then you kind of not. Well, maybe not everyone does this, but you sort of band, you're like, oh, the Polish, because I met this one Polish person who did this, and then you have this whole view. But um, on my fourth day there uh, in Melbourne, and this kind of really struck me, and I think I was always sensitive to it from then on, we were out one night and uh, met these guys, and the girl I was out with was kind of, one of the guys was chatting to her, so I had to chat to the friend, and he told me, um, oh, well, you Irish, you know, and he was from Australia, and he was like, you Irish are the lowest of the whites. And I was like, what? And it's just completely floored by just so many aspects of that. And I was kind of like, what, am, what place, where am I? Like, what, what am I doing here? Um, but that was just, you know, one person too. But I, I, I remember being very sensitive to any sort of anti-Irish uh, stuff that was going on. I have, like, my surname is Reapy, and I kind of, I can get a good tan, I kind of... <laughs> don't look particularly Irish sometimes and uh, when I was booking into a hostel um, up kind of up the coast uh, she was like oh if we knew you were Irish we wouldn't have taken your, your booking 
Because your surname didn't look Irish. Very interesting. There was a recent controversy, wasn't there, of an Australian minister making oh, yeah, disparaging yeah. remarks saying that if an Irish person knocks on your door, you should immediately close the door and tell them to go away, um, <laughs> which he had to apologise for. But it's quite interesting the way that we occupy a kind of in-between space in Australia and sometimes in America as well between, uh, you know, looking and being familiar in linguistic and other cultural ways, but at the same time also, depending on how you behave or where you're working or whatever else, also being on the other side and it's a kind of a, a strange in-between space that immigrants inhabit. For sure, and I think sometimes, you know, the bad, you know, when bad stuff happens, you kind of notice that more. So if there's a criminal element, which was, that was what she was referring to, there was kind of this scam going on where, um, I don't know, elderly people were being targeted or something by one group. But yeah, and then she just makes this big sweeping statement. But I don't know. Uh, I don't want to portray Australia as like... No, uh, but yeah, <laughs> as you say, you know, especially, and I've had this experience as well, when you're living abroad, you suddenly have this very attuned antenna for any anti-Irish sentiment at all. And we're <laughs> yeah. we're yeah. so quick to get on the high horse, you know. People have <laughs> barely made an accidental comment and we're already, the high dudgeon is in full flow. In full flow. Um, but what I think is really interesting about... Uh, three panellists we have is the different ways that you have all lived in and worked with diverse groups of people. And if, Angie, if I could turn to you, you have been living over in Hackney in London, one of the most diverse parts of the United Kingdom. Um, you know, obviously a very long way from Australia, but similarly a place that people from literally all over the globe have gone to to make their lives. Uh, how have you found living in such a diverse place, and especially you work a lot with the arts? Um, I love the tagline of Angie runs a and arts awards in uh, in Hackney, the, the tagline of which is she wants to give the, the place a kick up the art, uh, which I think is very good. Working with all the diversity of art and culture and everything in somewhere like Hackney, how has that been as, a, as an emigrant experience, or is it an emigrant experience? Amazing. That's my experience of living in Hackney. It is one of the most culturally, culturally diverse places in the UK, possibly the world. My experience as an Irish person there in London in general has only been like really, really positive. It's been brilliant to be Irish there. I never went with the intention of, I don't know, of being Irish in a different place. I went to find out, well, I went to follow my husband, I suppose, to finally pin him down. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I went to find out about, well, what's life like for... In a, in a more colourful place and I mean it's certainly that 35% of people who live in my borough in Hackney identify as white British and the other 65% are from other places um, and for me and for my kids that's just been the most incredible experience and the, the arts initiative that I run um, the Arts Kickers Awards it, the reason it had such success last year was because I think East London is the place of very multicultural and people have really rich heritage to draw from and everybody's got stories to tell and everybody wants to tell stories, whether it's through the visual arts or dance or whatever uh, arts background people are coming from, they're all telling their stories and it's, it's just really rich and brilliant. Um, and until really, until I met the King, well, John Mulholland was, um, we're so lucky to have him as um, one of our judges on the panel. And really until I met John, I'd been there 12, 14 years maybe, 
And apart from my husband, my two sisters and one Irish friend, all my friends were not Irish. Um, then John introduced me to the Kings and it's like, you're opened a whole new world to this brilliant Irish network that I had, I suppose, had never seen that as a source of oh, power or influence or, you know, how we could use, I'd never really thought about how we could use the Irish network to actually help some of the people that we were rewarding through the Arts Kickers Awards. But we have done it and recently um, at, the, at Damwell Hall, the Irish ambassador to London, he left to go to the States and the London Irish Builders Network asked me to find some people to perform at his uh, going away party. So we got um, a young spoken word artist, DeAndre Banks, who we discovered through the Arts Kickers. We got him to reinterpret a Yeats poem and wrap it with a, with a choir led by a Northern Irish girl. And they, like the London Irish Builders Network were like, sure, go on, lash him up there and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and it was brilliant, it was amazing. And to see this young boy who had no connection whatever to Ireland, but introduced to Yates and is, has since really gotten into Yates and has maintained a relationship with Damwell Hall since he's gone to the States. Um, because it was just such a beautiful clash and a mashup of things to that's bringing people that's together. really interesting you say about the you know, stories being so important to people, especially when they go and live in another place, but also the way that cultures come together and the, the clashes that seem very strange can actually produce something very interesting. And if I turn to you, Morris, I mean, you have spent 12 years, I think, living abroad, but the piece of work um, that you've probably become best known for is the excellent film uh, produced by The Guardian, Pitching Up, um, about Syrian refugees in Ballyhonas in County Mayo, uh, learning to play the game of hurling, which is certainly one of the most un unlikely culture clashes that you know we could possibly think of. Hurling in Mayo, right? Hurling in Mayo. Hurling in Mayo. I thought about making that joke, but I thought it'd be very unfair to Elizabeth to start talking about Mayo. <laughs> start talking about Mayo and the GAA down here in Kerry. But, uh, well, yeah. um, but do you want to tell us a little bit about the process of making the film and also the enormous reaction that the film has had? Because, I mean, it, it, as they say, went viral and has become sort of uh, incredibly well-known. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've been away for so long. Um, you, you do start to wonder about what it is that makes you Irish. You know, what does it actually mean to be Irish? What are the parts of Irish national identity that, that really are important to me? And I guess when I think about Irishness, one of the things that kind of cuts to the essence is the GEA, you know. Um, I'm from Tipperary, like just, you know, obviously I'm a big Harland fan. Um, and so I was trying to find ways into, into telling a story about the, about the GEA, really. And I saw this article in the Irish Times by Owen Butler about uh, the Ballyhonest GEA club. And it was, it was really the the pictures that kind of stood out, you know, because it was all these young black kids wearing Mayo jerseys and, you know, for better or for worse, that's still a novelty. There's still a great novelty factor to that. And so I, basically, I spent like the guts of a year kind of going back and forth to Ballyhonest and just meeting people and kind of getting their stories. And it's not just Syrian refugees, actually. I mean, it's the most uh, multicultural town in Ireland per head of population, but it's got a very long-standing Syrian and Pakistani community there who have been there since the 70s, like they're, they're economic migrants originally. Um, and one of the guys, one of the stars of the film, Hanan Iqbal, you know, he's, his family didn't go there because they were pushed out because of war. They went because there was a halal meat factory there and because, 
there was a mosque built there in the 70s. I think it was the first purpose-built mosque in Ireland uh, at the time, you know. Um, so uh, there was that element. There's also, it, it's, it's, it's got one of the biggest asylum-seeking uh, accommodation centers in the state as well. So there's a lot of um, African families there now as well. And I guess it was just it was just very interesting for me to kind of there was a lot of overlapping themes. I mean, Mayo is obviously a place that's been ravaged by immigration over the years, and so in some ways that gave the local people there, you know, an interesting perspective. Many of them were very cognizant of the fact that so many of their own had left, you know, and so they felt a real duty to welcome these people as as well as they could. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's a place that is so traditional and so rural and so unused to newcomers coming in. I mean, I remember a story that one person told me when um, the Syrian families first moved there and they saw ladies wearing headscarves walking down the street. Everybody just assumed there were some kind of exotic nuns, you know, because <laughs> like, you know, the thought of, of Muslim people in, in Mayo was just like, you know, it just didn't, it didn't even kind of seem like a possibility. So, you know, I, I, so there's still, uh, you know, it's, it's not all plain sailing. There's still a lot of work to be done in terms of integration there. But certainly there's a, there's a, there's a number of the GA volunteers who feature in, in the film who are, who are doing amazing work trying to, trying to make these kids feel at home as best they can, especially the kids who grew up in direct provision because um, I think, uh, you know, we as a, as, a, as a people and as a state have, have failed a lot of those people in terms of giving them a welcome, you know. It's an absolutely fantastic film and it's available online on The Guardian and on YouTube and stuff and I would highly recommend that everybody who hasn't seen it check it out. Something that I thought that was really interesting about, uh, about the whole idea of the film, obviously we here in Kerry, the GAA is enormously important to us as it is in Mayo, as it is in Tipperary, as it is in many parts of the country. What do you think that the role of community organisations like the GAA is in terms of integration for people coming here, but also it's obviously something that is hugely important for Irish people going abroad. I mean, in the UK, in London, obviously, Angie would know a huge number of GA clubs. In Australia, it's also a huge thing. What role do you think that community organisations have, uh, like the GA, in, in, on both sides of that coin? Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely massive. Um, I, I was somebody, I played GA when I was a kid, and then I also played music, and I remember the loading their gear into the local pub one night, and the, the local uh, football coach was basically like, well, I suppose it's better than, than playing football anyway, lads, isn't it? You know, playing a gig, and, and it was basically a choice. You can either play music or you can play the ga, and I was like, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to stick with the music. Um, but when I ended up in Glasgow many years later, um, I ended up playing for for Glasgow Gaelic football team, and I hadn't played in 10 years, and, and you know, I'm not somebody that would go to Irish pubs or necessarily even seek out Irish people when I'm abroad. It's funny, we were talking yeah, about this backstage and the, the, the app that the minister was speaking about, which sounds great, but I think we were saying we'd almost use it to kind of figure out, where do the Irish people go, right? I'm not going to go there. <laughs> like, you know, it's not necessarily where we go abroad, but... Um, Sorry, but, but also there is, there is a real comfort. There's a real comfort to finding other Irish people as well. And what I found really interesting was that in Glasgow, it's mainly Northern Irish people. Um, and so it was the first time that I really got to know the diverse kind of gangs of Northern Ireland, you know, when you share a dressing room with all these mad bastards, for want of a better way. <laughs> it. 
And, you know, in Munster, we kind of know, you'll know the difference between a Kerry accent and a Cork accent and everything else. I had never really gotten that distinction between, say, Down people and Derry people. And, and, that, and that really kind of... Minefield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no pun intended. <laughs> so it's hugely important. And, I mean, like, you know, socially it was very important to that gang. And, and a lot of people got jobs out of it, you know, especially if you're working in engineering and things like that. There's, there's a huge amount of jobs to be gotten out of it. In terms of the GEA here, obviously it's... it's you know, with the, the kind of role of the church and everything else um, becoming, you know, less pronounced, uh, the GA have taken on a lot of that extra community work in the place that I'm from. It's, it's the thing that basically gives that community an identity, you know. It's, it's hard to know if there would be anything else left. I mean, there's many communities that you'd struggle to say, is that even a place? It's, it's a kind of... It's a strung out kind of row of houses, but it's the fact that there's a GEA club, that's what brings the people together. In terms of Ballyhonas, I mean, those guys are doing sterling work, but they're getting very little support, even from the GEA themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, these are volunteers, they're doing it in their spare time, and they're not getting paid any money for it, and they've all got their own families, you know. Um, so, yes, they're very, very important, and, and I think they could, they could do with more support, you know. You said something very interesting there about the importance of a GAA club in remote places that have suffered from emigration and so on that are very small. And here in West Kerry, you know, the, the question of is that still a place? Well, the GAA club gives an identity to places out in the Gaeltacht and in other parts of Kerry that, that is impossible to get rid of. And what I think is really interesting for all three of you is that you've lived abroad and now you've all come home. And what kind of experiences have you had coming home to places, especially you know, you from Mayo and Angie, you're living in Clare at the moment. If you want, could you tell us a little bit about the process of coming back and living in Fenor, a place that has suffered from depopulation and used to be a relative, and where music and the GAA and stuff are in some ways what has kept places having an identity? What, what is it like coming home to that? Well, we came home to Fenor. Well, I say home; it's home now. It's not where I'm from. I'm from Ennis, but there's 200 people now that we've moved in. So, um, which is brilliant. So, and everyone is really energized that a young family have moved in, joined the school, and it's a great little community, but it is an impoverished community in many ways. I mean, it's rich in many ways because the type of people who've decided to live a life on the, really on, the, on another edge of, on Ireland's edge, just a bit further west, up, or a bit further north from here. Um, so, there's the f traditional farming population, but there's also new people like us who've come back to there. And in our school, there's 32 kids in the school, and there's seven nationalities in the school. And I think that's a real, I mean, there's so much value in that. There, that's a thing that's really precious that we should be looking at, well, you know, it's a growing school. It was si there were 16 kids in the school two years ago when we kind of tried to move back, but the Wi-Fi was so shite that we just couldn't. I, like, I couldn't work. And even now, the Wi-Fi is shocking. And I actually use Vodafone UK to, for my mobile phone to get the internet and stuff. So it's totally ridiculous. Um, and why things like that aren't sorted here is just beyond me. But, I mean, the place is magnetic. It's so beautiful. There's something about it. It's just full of special people doing interesting things. The GAA, for us, actually, as not GAA fans or players or whatever, for our kids, it's been really important. And you can see, like, that, that organization has grown massively since we moved 14 years ago. Um, and 
everybody plays hurling and all the kids are in together and they were practically coming up to the house to get the kids in to club practice because like, they need the people and in, even in your gorgeous film it works both ways the, like it's great to integrate people from abroad but they're really going to need the players yeah. as well yeah. and you can see it's going to have very positive impact on the Mayo hurling yeah. scene in yeah. about yeah. 10 years <laughs> um, we're being very unfair on Mayo up here. <laughs> but it's, well, it's an interesting point that you make. I mean, Kerry have won four minor All-Ireland football titles in a row, uh, which we mentioned at any possible opportunity. <laughs> we have had people on those teams from immigrant backgrounds who were born in other countries and came to live in. And that is a, obviously a huge change to you know, Kerry teams of 20 or 30 years ago. And obviously, there's also the case of people who have gone to Australia, especially, and come back to play GA here and so on. But I think that you, know, you made a really interesting point about the... the the cultural, emotional side of coming home, but then there's also the practical side, as you mentioned. I mean, this is the, the, the annual, you know, or constant complaint to mm. people on the West Coast, you know, we need really good broadband, as we thankfully now do have here in Dingle, but many communities still don't. You know, we need good infrastructure, we need good transport and so on. And Pierce made this point in the last panel that emigration is a long-standing issue in Ireland, but it's, a lot of it has to do with regional policy as much as people leaving the country, in the sense that it falls as a burden on different communities in different ways. Um, and Elizabeth, you're from Mayo, as we keep mentioning. Um, you, you talked about, you talked about uh, how you went abroad, not necessarily even to emigrate, uh, yeah. which is something that I often think about myself as well. It's an, an interesting way that we think about that label. But then when you've come home, you've spent some time living with your family, and how yeah. has that been reintegrating into life here in Ireland? I have moved back home to Mayo so many times now that it's just... I think maybe the first time or the second time that I moved, I would have been a bit like, oh, you know, I don't fit in or... Oh, no one cares. And it's a completely different experience when you move back as an adult, I think. Um, you just kind of... You have to get over yourself first and then you just slot back in to... So it's been grand, like... Um, and it's great. It's great to have home, you know. It's, I can always go there or whatever, but, yeah, in the meantime, I'll just keep trying to see other places and very new things. That's interesting about the, the idea of home always being there because, of course, the other side of the emigration story and coming home is the people who are left behind. And that has changed a lot as we've been talking about the change in emigration experience. Obviously, there was a time when people went abroad and it was unlikely that you would see them very regularly or indeed possibly ever again. In the era of Ryanair and so on, that has changed massively. But at the same time, it's obviously still a big impact on people as Pierce made the point of after the crash, you know, the percentage of families in the west of Ireland, and especially in the rural west of Ireland, who had a family member who left the country, was very high. And that is something that obviously has an emotional and psychological effect. Morris, how have you found coming home in terms of that family, emotional, cultural side of things? Uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, look, we came home, uh, there was professional reasons for coming home in terms of me just kind of wanting to tell Irish stories and being absolutely inspired by the work, uh, film work that was being produced here, especially documentaries by people like Lenny Abramson, Pat Collins and Emer Reynolds who are here this weekend. You know, I mean, seeing those people and, and the stuff they were doing professionally was like, God, you know, um, it, it's, a good, it's a good time to come back because there's great stuff being done. And then, yeah, I mean, emotionally and personally, we have, uh, you know, I guess myself and my wife, we've, uh, you know, our parents aren't getting any younger. Um, there's definitely a kind of a feeling that we want to be closer to them and also starting a family. And I guess it sounds, you know, it sounds kind of 
supposedly fascist or something, but you know, we wanted our kids to be Irish. You know, we wanted our kids to grow up in Ireland. So, um, well, I think that I mean, a friend of mine once said to me when she was pregnant over in England that you know the, the greatest fear of every young Irish couple over in living in the UK is that you're going to have a, a child with an English accent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but me, having a child with an English accent is a wonderful thing here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. wonderful. They love it and the friends love it and. Um, and our kids even born in London and in East, I mean, as they said when, when we said we're moving here, we, we sat them on the couch and they thought they were going to get a trip to Disneyland. <laughs> and we said, we're actually lads, we're not going back, we're going to stay, we're going to have an adventure. And Claire is as good as Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> but they were both, but we're Hackney children, you can't take us out of Hackney. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> But bringing them back for the and, and like I I think anyone who'll ever meet me knows how much I love Hackney. I mean, it, I just think it's the best place. You know, Fenora's brilliant, but Hackney's flipping amazing. And but for the kids, bringing them back here, slowing down is lovely. And the Irish education system is so much more easygoing than the English education system and yeah they're close to the grandparents and but even as Hackney kids they all felt Irish as well um, and having the Irish it's a funny old thing being Irish we all seem to have it and the constant discussions about will we go back will we move back oh, yeah. and it's boring to just stop boring yourself <laughs> having the same conversation yeah <laughs> avoid the grilling at Christmas this year yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> turn up at the door <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'd love to think that my kids will go like, I would never raise my kids to have them stay in Ireland. Why is it not a wonderful thing that you want to send them out into the world and, mm. you know... But this is something really interesting about the why we're, one of the reasons why we chose Migration Nation as the theme of the weekend is that, mm. you know, the, we live in a place that has been scarred by immigration, that has been enriched by immigration, and that's been touched by both of them in different ways. But one thing that is very uh, sort of almost universal about being Irish is that people in every community up and down the country do go exploring, wandering, adventuring, sometimes by choice, sometimes because there are no opportunities at home, sometimes because they don't feel comfortable at home or whatever. Mm. You know, the great thing about all three of you is that you've shown the diversity of those different experiences. And there are a million and one reasons to leave and a million and one reasons to come back. But there is something that is absolutely integral about being Irish, about migrating, about moving, about going to different places. And that is something that I think is absolutely fantastic uh, you know, in, in our culture, in the way that we share our culture internationally and with other people. I and mean, we have a, a novelist, a filmmaker, and an arts activist up here. And I think it's really interesting the way that people working in the arts, you know, working about on Irish things abroad or on Irish things at home or non-Irish things abroad and non-Irish things at home, the way that those things all come together is something about the, the weird mix of being Irish. Mm. So I'd like to thank all three of you for coming here to Dingle so and, and sharing your story. Yeah.